Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2, I'm mildly surprised that more of you didn't get up and leave between Sunday school and church when you saw the sermon title and sermon length of passage, Colossians 2, 6 through 4, 6, but you are here and we've started, so you're in for the long haul. I have lunch plans that can wait a while, hopefully you do as well, I'm just kidding, we will, we will push through. I come down the home stretch of our Christmas rush. I know you probably are feeling that as I am. And it is the privilege of the church in these moments to hit the pause button on life and to meditate on the scriptures together, to think deeply together about Christ, to have his spirit's ministry through his word upon our hearts. So often the Christmas season can be like taking kids to a sporting event, especially a major league sporting event of any kind, you know the routine. You take them and, and pretty soon you realize they're more into the food and the side activities going on and they miss the main event. In fact, they have really no idea what's happening on the field of play. Christmas can be similar to that. Approaching Christmas Day, rejoicing in a Savior, we often turn our attention to the sideshows. We have the privilege in the next few minutes to gaze fully upon Jesus Christ. I want to do that from the book of Colossians. Instead of an Advent series this year, I decided to continue on in the Gospel of John because, well, it's the Gospel of John. I mean, how can we not continue in John? It's all about Christ. As we were in John 15, we're talking about abiding in Christ, He being the true vine, His Father, the vine dresser, we being the branches. We considered what it means to abide in Christ. That led me in my own reading to the book of Colossians, and as I saw the connection between abiding in Christ in John 15 and the whole message of the whole letter from Paul's pen to the church in Colossae, I could not rip myself away from this book. How glorious a truth we have here of abiding, remaining, dwelling in Christ. If you are in Christ by grace through faith, then the sum total of your Christian journey is to remain in Christ. By His grace, through ongoing, continuous, unending, resilient faith, you persist in Christ. Jesus used the metaphor in John 15 of that of a vine and branches and a vine dresser. That He is the true vine. We are the branches. His Father is the vine dresser. He goes on to say, if you abide in Me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the key to true, vibrant, real spiritual life is Christ. This is so easily turned on its head in our own heart. We are by nature so very fleshly, so very worldly oriented, and I don't even necessarily mean in the sinful sense, but though that as well. It's easy to think of spiritual life as something we must produce by our own effort. Something we must do to make the fruit appear on the end of our branch. But we need a life that comes from outside of us. Because by ourselves, we, you know, are spiritually dead. Lost and unable to be right with God. This is the Christmas story then, why Jesus came to earth to live this sinless life and die this substitutionary death and rise this victorious resurrection and 
ascend triumphantly to the right hand of the Father. It was to provide salvation for mankind that we could not provide for ourselves. To receive the salvation from the condemnation of our rebellion against God, we don't need to do anything. We must receive the life given to us by faith in Christ. We have to be united to Christ in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection, and in His new life. All of this is from Christ. All of it is reliant upon Jesus. All of it comes from Jesus. So to be a Christian means to be in Christ. And the sum total of walking as a Christian is to abide in Christ. To walk with Him and in Him by faith. The New Testament letters in particular, especially Paul's letters, like to speak of that as being united to Christ or being in Christ. That's one of the prepositional phrases that Paul uses the most in his letters as being in Christ or in Him. So to live as a Christian is to abide in Him. And my question before you this morning is what does that mean? Sounds like a little bit of Christianese, doesn't it? Something we all know to say because it's the right answer. We know the Sunday school verbatim answer we're supposed to give and move on with our lives and then go walk in the flesh later in the day because we don't know what it means. What does it mean day by day to abide in Christ? Well, last week we considered the first seven verses of Colossians 2 to see the, the foundation that must be there for us to walk in Christ. Paul's concerned that they'll be led away by plausible arguments, that they'll be deluded and deceived. And the solution to that danger of false doctrine is Christ Himself. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, Paul says. He is supreme and He is sufficient. Without Him, you can do nothing. I want to read this morning Colossians 2, verse 6, down through chapter 4, verse 6. It's about a five-minute read, so if you need a snoozer, this is not the time to get it. Pay attention now, and then you can sleep when I'm talking. Because this is the best part of the sermon. Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us 
that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May the Lord take his word and transform our hearts by the renewing of our minds. What would you say is the theme of Colossians 2, 6 through 4, 6? If you had to write the little appellation that goes above that text in your version of the Scriptures, what would you put there? Whatever it is, it must have the word Christ in it. Do you not think so? Almost every verse spoke of our Lord Jesus. If not directly through a pronoun, if not through a pronoun, through an assumption or a summary statement. Christ is the scarlet thread that runs through this whole text. Every command given in chapter 3 is rooted in Christ. Laced with the supremacy and the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And then Paul from 2.7 on tells you how it is you are to walk in Christ. In other words, how do you abide in Christ? I want to provide three answers to that question this morning with a a broad sweep of the book of Colossians. Please know at some point we're going to come back and we're going to work through word by word, phrase by phrase, this glorious book at some point, Lord willing, in the future. But right now we're doing a broad sweep of these two and a half chapters. I want you to see how it all connects to Christ. Let me lead you through those answers of how do you abide in Christ in everyday living? You do this by knowing Christ, by seeking Christ, and by living Christ. By knowing Christ, by seeking Christ, and by living Christ. The first is by knowing Christ. That's the answer of chapter 2. He tells them to walk in Christ in verses 6 and 7. Then verse 8, right away, he warns them about the, the delusions that are coming. Don't be taken captive. Don't be taken as prisoners of war off of the spiritual battlefield by empty deceit or human philosophy rooted in human tradition. Notice how precious little he tells us about these doctrines of demons that are plaguing the church. These human philosophies. He doesn't name them. He doesn't describe them. He doesn't tell us what's wrong with them. All he does is mention them and say, don't be taken captive off of the spiritual battlefield by them. They're driven by man-centered, man-rooted, human tradition type stuff. They operate according to the elemental spirits of the world. The stuff of this world. Not according to Christ. A lot of ink has been spilled to try to figure out what are these philosophies, these things that were plaguing and endangering the church. And the simplest answer is to see what it's contrasted to, and what it's contrasted to is Christ. These enslaving and deceptive doctrines are according to something outside of Christ. They're not in line with Christ. They're not according to Christ. They're human and earthly explanations of of life and of life in this world and not by Christ. Arguments of human wisdom built upon human tradition and self-made religion instead of being built on and according to 
Christ. So what's the glorious antidote to these deceptive doctrines that want to take you captive and imprison you in your spirituality? Keep you so you're not producing fruit for the Lord and useful and effective for the Lord, or worse, making shipwreck of your faith. What's the antidote to that? Well, the antidote, as Paul lays before us in chapter 2, is Christ. That, that's the safe answer in any question I ask you today. It is Christ. He is the antidote. Notice what Paul does in verses 9 all the way down through verse 15 of chapter 2. He gives you a master's class in the doctrine of Christ and all things relating to Christ. He just goes one phrase after another to tell you more about this Jesus who has come to give his life for you. So 9a, he says, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's speaking of the the fullness, the, the completeness of the deity and the humanity of Jesus. Truly God and truly man. So any human philosophy, any human tradition that does not line up with the true deity and true humanity of Jesus must be rejected. It is not according to Christ. He goes on, 10a, you've been filled in him. You're complete in Christ, having everything you need. 10b, he's the head of all rule and authority, a sovereign supremacy over all. 11 through 12, he talks about our, our union with Christ in these things, being united to him by being spiritually circumcised and being baptized with him in his death and being resurrected with him in his new life. Verse 13, he says, you, he now turns the attention to us as sinners. We were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. He reminds you in line line with Christ, you were spiritually dead apart from him. But God, the, the verse goes on, entered in and made you alive together with him. Gave you spiritual life through him. Last part of 13 into 14, he talks about forgiving our trespasses canceling the record of our debt, reconciling us to God through Christ. And in the end of 14, he says how that's true, how that's possible. He nails it to the cross of Christ. That's the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And then in 15, he speaks of the disarming of rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame and triumphing over them in him. This is the full final, complete, eternal victory provided through Christ for all of God's spiritual enemies. The beloved, the Holy Spirit is not just giving you facts to know in this section of of Colossians. He's teaching you how it is you are to abide in Christ and not be taken captive by human deceit and plausible arguments that will delude you and lead you away into spiritual captivity. He's showing you that everything must be brought into line with Christ. Every teaching you hear, every radio program that comes over the airwaves and and speaks of spiritual matters or of worldview matters or of life issues must be brought into the balance relating to Christ. How does it stack up to everything the Scripture says about our Lord Jesus? Does it uphold His supremacy and His sufficiency? Does it align with His full atonement for the sinfulness of mankind? Is it honest about the depravity of man apart from Christ? And on and on, down the list it goes. This is how we abide in Christ and don't get led away 
and made captive. You say, well, what does that look like? Good idea, Matt. What does that look like? Well, that's exactly what Paul addresses in verses 16 to 23. He gives you a case study. He says, don't be taken away into captivity by these deceptive doctrines. The antidote is Christ and all these truths. And then he gives you a case study in verses 16 to 23. He says, listen, this is in danger of happening to you. These false teachers who come into Colossae are, are trying to steer you away from Christ. How are they doing that? Well, they have questions about food and drink and festivals and the Sabbath. Paul says they're insisting on denying the body, on asceticism, on doing injury to yourself, denying yourself something so you can gain more of a spiritual experience. They're pushing the the worship of a lesser being, the worship of angels. They're going on and on in detail, Paul says, about supposed visions that they are having as though they have some higher spiritual state than you. They are the spiritual gurus who've had this unique spiritual experience. And if you were like them, you would have it too, or you would seek after it as they have. Paul says, listen, they are driven by their sinful flesh to come up with spiritual protocol and regulations that they say help people do the Christian life better and honor Jesus better. And so they say, don't do that, but do this. Don't participate in that, but you must participate in this. They had a formalism. They had an externalism. Driven Christianity. If you're honest with yourself this morning, you have had that too. I don't think I know a Christian who has not gone through that stage. Whether in their coming to Christ or shortly after they came to Christ and and some still captured, I think, by it. That somehow, if I focus on outward in, then I will be a faithful, fruitful, pleasing Christian to my Lord. That, That if I, through external commands, And prohibitions, if I do or don't do certain things, then I will be acceptable. And usually what we mean is acceptable to other Christians who are looking at us. And we deduce from that then acceptable to the God of all these Christians. Paul's doing the exact opposite. The Holy Spirit through the Word is doing the exact opposite. Saying there's no hope in that. There's no life in that. That's like taking fake fruit And duct taping it to the branch on the grapevine and saying, look at my beautiful Christian life. How amazing it is. Look, look, I look the part, right? Paul does is he brings that into conflict with Christ. He, He assesses it according to Christ and he finds it completely lacking, completely deficient, and actually really dangerous. He says in verse 19, again in verse 23, that it's dangerous because it's trying to defeat and control the flesh with the flesh. These regulations are are trying to use rules of religion that are appealing because they're they're easily understood. Frankly, they're relatively easy to do in the sense that I, I know what I have to do in any given day, check the boxes of my spirituality, and if I get to the end of the day and I've done it well, then I am spiritually healthy. If I've only done half, then you know I'm half baked. If I've only done like two or three of them, then you know I need to end the day in penance and sackcloth and ashes and 
pull out my hair and do some form of asceticism to make up for my horrible spirituality. We like an external assessment of whether or not we are truly spiritual. But when you bring that into comparison with Christ, you find that it is tremendously lacking. Like branches connecting, excuse me, disconnecting themselves from the vine and then taping fake fruit on their branch and saying, look at the life I have produced. Or better yet, it's like cutting off the head of the body and expecting the body to have as much life as ever. That's exactly what Paul says in verses 18 and 19. So these false teachers are, are decapitating the body of Christ. They're, they're taking away the life source, the head who is Jesus. And they're focusing on the body so that the body itself would be healthy and alive in and of itself as though somehow it could function without a head. And so he says, as you turn more and more to your own minds, your own thoughts, your own assessments, your own prescriptions, your own regulations for your own spiritual life, you are disconnecting yourself from the true head who is Christ. True spirituality simply cannot be had apart from Christ. How is it that you must abide in Christ? You must know Christ. Walk in Christ by keeping yourself from deceptive doctrine and man-made, self-made religion by knowing Christ. How else do you abide in Christ? You abide in Christ by seeking Christ. Chapter 2 is the defensive side of this battle. Chapter 3 is the offensive side of the battle. Chapter 2 is be careful of the attack in this way. Prepare yourself. Get your walls ready. Shore up your gates by knowing Christ. When the arrows of the enemy fly against you and assault you and try to lead you away and take you captive as prisoners of war, you will have built up the armaments who is Christ and you will be impenetrable because you know Christ. Chapter 3, he turns and pivots and says, now you also must be on the offensive. It's not enough just to be ready for battle. You must take the battle to the enemy, namely the enemy within. See, the problem with the spiritual battle is as has been said by many others. But the flesh, or excuse me, the world and the devil are on the outside of your life seeking entrance to destroy you, and the flesh is on the inside of your life trying to open up the gate for them. That's exactly what he addresses in chapter 3. Be on the offensive battle by seeking Christ. It says to, in verse 2, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want you to notice the heart and mind aspect of this offensive battle in verses 1 and 2. Seeking the things which are above speaks to our, our loves, our pursuits, our affections. I battled this yesterday in my own flesh because I have probably an undue love for the Minnesota Vikings, especially when they're winning. And they were not winning yesterday. And I had to wrestle through in my own heart why this was so important to me and work through all of those issues in the moment. And whether I did or not, I don't know. It's a, I'm a work in progress, believe me. When he says, seek those things that are above, he's speaking to the things you want 
the things you desire, the things you go after, the things you love so much you can't do without. If you miss it, you feel it. It makes you mad and angry and upset. But if you have it, everything in your life is good. Paul says, go on the offensive by seeking things beyond this life. Set your affections on things that go far beyond anything you see here and now. Set your affections on Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. But more than that, he speaks to our mind. He says, set your mind on those things that are above. It's a a tandem attack. Heart and mind combined. Pursuing after that which is really worthwhile and valuable. Think on, meditate on, set your mind on. Do the hard work required to think spiritual thoughts. You can eke by as a Christian with knowing your eternity is secure in Christ and struggle every day from here till your death with whether or not you're going to do much or be useful for your Lord. And a lot of it boils down to you're just not willing to do the hard work to think deep thoughts about Christ. To work hard to know Him better. To know His will, His way, and His word. You continue to be battered by your own flesh having victory over you and luring you away into sinfulness in part because you have not done the hard work of setting your mind on Christ. Taking the time and making the effort to know Christ and all that is yours in Him. Immediately, Ephesians 1 comes to mind. Well, the glorious hymn of the faith in Ephesians 1 is a blessing to the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, verses 3 through 17, listing for us in those verses as he sings this song of praise in his letter to this triune God, he details for us all the riches that are ours in Christ. So set your mind on things that are above by taking your eyes off of the the complexities and difficulties of a future that is unknown when you have a Christ who can be known. Take your anxiety off of of things that are unsure, unsteady, and and probably will go wrong, honestly. And set your mind on that which can never change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Root yourself in Him. Abide in Him. And He in you. We pursue spiritual life in Christ, by focusing on Christ and seeking Christ. The takeaway for our purposes this morning is that we must abide in Him by seeking Him alone, not by seeking to live according to some external form or human standard of human making. Set our minds on Him. Well, what does that look like? How does that reflect itself in our lives? Well, verses 5-9 through says it's going to look like putting to death that which is earthly in us putting away the works which correspond to someone who is living with a a worldly perspective. Someone who has a love for the things of the world. What are those things that are to be put to death? Well, he gives you a list. It's not an exhaustive list. 
but it's a pretty comprehensive one, and it's a representative one. Things like these, things in this category is what he's saying. But what are those earthly things? Well, look at verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Again, verse 9, do not lie to one another. You see in in this list the internal and the external, right? And really the internal to the external. Addressing the heart level so that it addresses the lifestyle level. Paul doesn't just chop off the branch of bad behavior and let it grow back. He goes to the root issue, to the heart level issue. The internal worldliness that resides within us apart from Christ. And he says, set your mind on Christ and seek the spiritual realities of Christ. And if you do... One evidence of that, one fruit of that, one expression of that is that you will not tolerate these things in you. Because these things don't go together with Christ. What fellowship does Christ have with Belial, beloved? What partnership do Jesus and Satan have in the same heart? They don't. But Paul says, you, if you abide in Christ and set your mind on the things of Christ, you have no room for these things. And when they crop up, you chop them off. You do business with them by His grace because you abide in Christ. And the text turns on the hinge of verses 9-11. through 11. It doesn't just tell us to replace these worldly and fleshly things with spiritual things. That's what we want, right? Like, okay, now give me what I'm supposed to do. Correct? I fear even in the preaching of this sermon, you're going to walk away thinking, okay, I've got three things to do. No, you have to abide in Christ. And He must do these in you. But he turns on the hinge of verses 9 through 11, and He explains to us how it is that these things happen in us and through us. He shows us the basis that we can put to death those worldly desires and sinful passions of our flesh and put on the righteousness of Christ. It says in verse 9, don't lie to one another. Well, how? Because you put off the old, the old self or the old man with its practices and to put on the new self. Bear with me as I geek out on grammar again. It's important. You need to know it. So stick with me on the grammar stuff. It's, it's really helpful. The two verbs in verse uh, 10, having put off and having put on, are aorist middle participles. Simply means that, that it's something that has been done to you and requires a response from you. It's been done in the past. It has ongoing realities, ongoing results. Being in the middle voice means that it's something that now demands something from you. There's a part in this for you. So this has been done. The old man has been put off, and the new man has been put on if you are in Christ. Therefore, he says, live as though this were true. Every thought, every affection, every word, every deed, live as though this is true. Then he goes on in verse 10, he adds another participle to describe what's happening. It's a a present passive participle. It says this new man is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's a present passive participle, meaning it's the current reality in the life of every believer. You're an ongoing project that God is at work in right now to make you more and more conformed to the image of your Creator who is Christ. And this is being done 
to you as you are brought further into the knowledge of Christ. So verse 11 goes on to make clear that this renewal process, there is zero distinction between people. There's not a renewal on one hand for the Greek and another for the Jew. There's not a a spiritual renewal program for men and then another one that's feminine for the women. There's not one for barbarians over here and then the elite of society over here. No, the gold standard, the perfect path to the renewal of the inner man is one for all, and it is Christ. He is all and in all. He is everything, beloved. You can put to death the deeds of the body which remain in you because of Christ. You can put on the new man because of Christ. Christ, and you will, as you are renewed, reshaped, remade from the inside out by the gracious work of God to make you more like Christ. Well, that will look then like what's laid out in verses 12 through 17. So if we're conformed to the image of Christ through the knowledge of Christ, then we'll look more like what's described in verses 12 through 17. Just glance at that list in chapter 3, 12 to 17. What jumps out at you? Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiveness, peace of Christ within you, thankfulness, word of Christ dwelling in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with wisdom, singing and thankfulness, and a whole life committed to doing whatever you do in the name of the Lord Jesus as you give thanks to the Lord Jesus. See, friend, this is how you abide in Christ as a Christian. Put off the old man and having put on the new man, you abide in Christ, you walk in Christ, having your heart transformed to be more like Christ. And it looks more like this. And do you notice again, a lot of it's inside-out type stuff? Kindness, humility, those have outward expressions for sure. But the real thing is not outward first. I can be kind to you in how I treat you, but not actually kind to you. I can be humble before you, but not actually be humble. But Christ doesn't let that happen. As he transforms you into more of himself, you look more like him. Humble, kind, compassionate, gracious, forgiving, doing all for his glory. You know, it's kind of like fruit that gets produced as sap runs from the vine through the branch, bringing its life out the end of the branch in fruit. I think somebody talked about that sometime. Maybe Jesus in John 15. I am the true vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and I in you, and you will produce much fruit. Abide in Christ. Third way we abide in Christ is by living Christ, by living Christ. The main point of of verse 18 in chapter 3 all the way down to verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul explains how it is that those who are in Christ should now abide in Him in everyday relationships. So what does it look like to abide in Christ in your marriage? What does it look like to abide in Christ in your relationship with your parents or your parents with you? or at work with your boss, or you with your employees, or with your relationships with the outside world. 
I'm not going to walk through each one of these things, but I want you to consider how the Scriptures talked about abiding in Christ inside the church in verses 12 through 17. That was the focus there. Plural verbs, plural pronouns, speaking to the body of Christ. If you're abiding in Christ, this is what it will look like, 12 to 17, all together. You'll be kind, you'll be humble, you'll be compassionate, you'll forgive, you'll have the peace of Christ ruling among you, you'll admonish and exhort one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the church. Notice the expansion then to the home in verses 18 to 21, husbands and wives and parents and children. And then it moves to the workplace environment in 22 down through 4.1. And then 4.2 through 6, it expands into the outside world. His point is to say to you, walking in Christ is not just in the body of Christ. It's not just in the home. It's not just at work. It's not just to outsiders, it's everywhere. It's all-consuming. It touches every aspect of, of who you are. It completely, fundamentally changes you so that you're never the same anywhere you go. Every relationship you have is fundamentally reshaped by Christ. Now wives relate to their husbands differently and husbands to their wives and Parents to their children and children to their parents and slaves to their masters and masters to their slaves and Christians to the world outside. If we were to work our way through each specific one, you would see that this is the will of Christ for us in these relationships. He does not want you to wonder what should this look like. He makes it clear for you, laying before you how you should live in this world as you walk and abide in Christ. That's the machine gun fire of what living a Christ-like life looks like in every day. And notice where this comes in the letter. We, we would put this probably at the beginning. If we were writing this in our own flesh, in our own wisdom, we would say, you know what, Colossians, you got a lot of issues in your marriage. You're not communicating well. Your kids are a mess. Your workplace environment is terrible. You need to fix that. So here you go. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it's right. Parents, don't provoke your kids. Stop causing them despair and discouragement. Slaves, stop doing what, what your master tells you to do when they're watching. Do it all the time. Serve the Lord Christ in everything you do. We would start with that, correct? Because they got issues. They got problems that need fixed. And I got issues. I got problems that need fixed. You've got issues. You have problems that need fixed. You, you need help in your spiritual life. What's the answer? Go do. No. The answer is Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Established in Him. Producing His fruit through faith in Him alone. It's so easy to think of the Christian life as behavior modification. To think of spirituality as checking off a list. We like to make these things external. My point to you this morning is that Scripture makes it internal before it is ever external. 
And for it to be internal and effective, you must be in Christ, abiding in Christ. You certainly have heard the name St. Patrick. He was a missionary to Scotland in the 5th century. He wrote a poem. I won't read all of it. I'll just read a section of it, which I think helpfully summarizes this thought of everything connected to Christ. He said, I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness, of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion and his burial, through the strength of his resurrection and his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of the devil, from temptation and vices, from everyone who desires me ill, afar and anear, alone or in a multitude. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through a confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Beloved, abide in Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Colossians and the glory and supremacy of your son. Thank you for the sufficiency of his grace offered to us through his sacrifice. We pray by your kindness that you would help us to grow up into him, our head, that we would be more mature in Christ, clinging to our head, refusing to let go of him. Help us, Lord, to have a resilient and resolved faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want to pray for those among us who don't yet know Christ, having heard much of him today. By your spirit, would you convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of coming judgment? Father, would you bring them from their lost condition, separated from you in this world? Would you bring them by your mercy to be united to you through your Son? Would you give them the life of Christ by grace through faith in your Son? Thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We conclude our worship by challenging one another to consider him who is our all in all. Please stand as we sing.
together today to worship the Lord who has indeed come, deity veiled in humanity. I trust as you go your way, you'll have those thoughts of the incarnation coursing through your heart and mind as you set your mind on the things of Christ. <laughs> 